Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you to worship our Lord, Savior, and King Jesus Christ this morning. Well, here we are in the middle of 2020, and man, the past couple weeks have been just just an up and down roller coaster ride. Um, and if I can start by sharing a personal story, so in a little over a week, I'm about to turn 50. Uh, yes, the big 5-0, and um, my sharing comes from a place of pain because it's, it's reminding me that I'm no spring chicken anymore. Um, and uh, as, as if uh, it was bad enough, you know, the other day my wife was checking our mail and I hear her just cracking up and she's like, um, hey, Rick, you, you wouldn't believe it, but you got invited to the AARP organization. And I was like, no, you got to be kidding me. Uh, why would they send it to me? I'm not even 50 yet. <laughs> And um, she says, nope, sure enough, and she, she shows me the application. Um, and for you young kids out there, let me tell you what the AARP is. The AARP is a, uh, it's a membership club, an exclusive VIP membership club uh, that invites just the most wise and humble people to join. So anyway, I got invited, and um, to be honest, I'm not happy about it. So moving on. Um, these past couple weeks, of course, have been uh, just uh, really crazy with, with just events that have been at the opposite ends of, of the spectrum, if you would. And first of all, we got to see an American rocket take off from U.S. soil for the first time in about a decade, demonstrating the highest level of science and technology man has ever seen. Truly an amazing feat. You know, it's said that the SpaceX program and their long-range goal is to eventually put a colony of human on Mars. And at the rate we're going, I would say that it's possible even within the next 100 years. But on the other hand, just a few days prior to the takeoff, we saw the tragic death of George Floyd, which, of course, came on the heels of the brutal death of Ahmad Arbery's death, and it erupted into protests and violence around the nation highlighting a long history of racial injustices and tensions that haven't been resolved in spite of living in one of the most advanced societies in the world. And as a result, we're seeing more people die and communities being destroyed. And after looking at both events, here's what we know. No matter how advanced we get from an intellectual standpoint, human smarts will never serve to bring us closer together as a human race. And let me prove a point. So this picture you'll see here is from 50 years ago from today when we landed on the moon. And did you know that at that time we had less computer power than what we have in a cell phone? We've surely come a long way in 50 years. But again, on the other hand, let's look again 50 years ago and look at some of these pictures which were from the race riots of the 1960s, some of the worst times in our history. And you can see that not much has changed when it comes to human interactions. You know, I can't help but think maybe Mars is not such a bad idea after all. But I'm here to say that Mars is not the answer to our problems here on Earth. Just think about it. Starting a hum human colony on Mars would do nothing more than to corrupt the planet Mars with the same problems we have here on Earth. Instead, the solution to systemic racism and oppression and every other problem for that matter, homelessness, human trafficking, abortion, abuse, loneliness, is much, much deeper than we know. The solution is not 
more technology. It's not more protesting. It's also not better government policies, more sensitivity training, more job opportunities. These are all earthly solutions and are just treating the symptoms. What we need is transformation at the deepest level of our beings that go beyond the natural and the physical. And I love what Billy Graham said during the peak of the race riots in the 1960s. Here's what he said. Until we come to recognize Jesus as the Prince of Peace and receive his love in our hearts, the racial tensions will increase, racial demands will become more militant, and a great deal of blood will be shed. The race problem could become another flame out of control. Again, he said this in the 60s. What Billy Graham knew was that this battle and every battle are not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. And if we continue to see our problems as human versus human, race on race, police versus blacks, we will not solve the problem. The only solution lies in Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's dive into the word and see what Jesus has for us today. But first, let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we humbly approach your throne of grace today as we think about all that's going on. We continue, Lord, to live in a broken world in spite of how far we've come in science and technology. Jesus, we know this is why you came. You hold the keys to true peace and happiness, and we want to be your agents of change, starting with us. Teach us today and help us to be part of your solution. We know this is what you've called your church to. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the parable of the sower, which is a message about real, lasting change. And we're going to be reading from Matthew 13, so I invite you to get your Bibles out. And um, before we dive into the scripture, let me just set up the scene for you. So the parable of the sower was one of the first parables Jesus ever taught, and it sets the tone for the rest of the parables. Some biblical scholars have called this the manifesto parable because it speaks to matters of the heart, which we know is what God is most concerned with. Next, Jesus shares this parable at a time when the religious leaders of his day were making plans to kill him because his teachings were a threat to everything that they stood for. And as we read, I want you to note three key elements you'll hear. We'll call it the three S's. They're the sower, the seed, and the soil. The sower, the seed, and the soil. So reading from Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9, says this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while all the people stood on the shore. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was sowing, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Some fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun rose, the seedlings were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the seedlings. Still, other seed fell on good soil and produced a crop, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, or thirtyfold. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus goes on to explain the parable, but before he does, his disciples asked him a question. Let's read what it says in Matthew 13, verses 10 through 16. Then the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus replied, the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he'll have an abundance. Whoever doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. 
Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has grown callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you because Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see but didn't see it and hear what you hear but didn't hear it. So there's no doubt that Jesus was a master storyteller. But while some believe Jesus told stories to help them understand, this wasn't necessarily his aim. Jesus said he told parables to reveal truth to those he described as having childlike faith when it came to trusting him. Those he called his friends, like we just sang about. To others, however, to those that considered them, themselves proud intellectuals, the parables were a mystery. They were utterly meaningless and even nonsensical. Jesus then goes on to explain this parable, and here's what he says. Consider then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the message of the kingdom but does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So it starts with the farmer who is intentional about preparing for the future, and he's sowing or scattering his seed. And what is his seed? Jesus says it is the message of the kingdom. Or said another way, the seed is the word of God the perfect word of God that produces life. And let's read what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16 about God's word. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, the entire Bible is the prescription for all of life. Again, the entire Bible, not parts of the Bible. We don't get to pick and choose what we like from the Bible. And this is where I think a lot of us Christians go astray. We are called to take every word as God's truth and apply it to our lives. Now let's get back to the story. Now I have to admit that I know very little about farming. I'm kind of like a, a city boy. But in preparing for this message, I learned that there are multiple ways to sow. Um, in today's day and age, there's equipment and machinery that does uh, seed sowing. But back in the time of Jesus, they used manual techniques. And one of the techniques that was used was to be very meticulous with seeds and, and to sow them a few seeds at a time, one row at a time, kind of like what this picture shows. This is the probably, uh, probably the way I would sow seeds. But according to Jesus, the farmer he mentioned scattered seeds rather indiscriminately, like in this picture. He just kind of flung it out there. And uh, it's possible that this farmer had a short amount of time to sow his seeds. Perhaps he was acting with urgency and he just had to get the job done. Whatever the case, Jesus revealed some profound truths and here's, here's what he wants us to get out of this. Where the seeds landed, the type of soil where the seeds fell made all the difference on what happens next. This soil, after all, represents the condition of a person's heart towards God. And here's the four types of soil. The pathway, the shallow soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. Let's look at them. Let's talk about the pathway first. 
Jesus says, when anyone hears the message of the kingdom but doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is a seed sown along the path. The pathway represents the hard, unbelieving heart. These are people who hear the word of God and immediately reject it. These were the religious leaders Jesus had just clashed with moments earlier. The ones who claimed to know God better than even he did even willing to kill him for threatening their belief system. We see this today in the world. People steeped in their religious tradition and systems. They don't want to hear anything else. And some who are even murdering others for their beliefs. And it's not just people controlled by religious systems, but any belief system that rejects God, such as atheism. Perhaps, or just perhaps, some of these people might have even had a bad religious experience when they were young, and now they reject anything associated with God. They are being completely deceived by the enemy who snatches the truth of God from their hearts. Now let's look at the shallow soil. Jesus says the seed sown along rocky ground is the one who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he remains only for a season. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Jesus says these are the kinds of people that quickly and gladly receive the word of God, but they have no root. They're not committed. These might be people that like to follow the crowd. You know, where the crowd goes, they go. And they're into pursuing emotional highs. And if they had a slogan, it would probably be, eat, drink, and be merry. But of course, they might even pray a salvation prayer, and they might even try serving. But as soon as someone in church rubs them the wrong way, Maybe they don't feel like they're getting appreciated enough, or maybe they disagree with a church decision. They are the first to complain or even say, I'm out of here to the church without really trying to work things out. And these were the same types of people who left Jesus after he told them, if you want to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross and follow me. Let's move on. What about the thorny soil? Jesus says, the seed sown among the thorns is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, Jesus is talking about people who actually agree with God's word and have honest intentions about following God, but, and it's a big but, the cares of the world start to choke out God's purposes for their lives. Things like money and career, hobbies, or even good family activities. These are what we call cultural Christians today, where following Jesus becomes like anything else. They struggle to find time in their busy calendars for God's purposes and will do just enough to feel good about being a Christian. They check that block. I'm a Christian. And if they had a slogan, it would be, fake it till you make it. These are people who might even... 10 church services on Sunday, but that's where it ends. In fact, Paul talks about this type of Christian in 2 Timothy 3.5. Let's listen to what he says. But understand this, in the last days, terrible times will come. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Turn away from such as these. And to me, these are the most dangerous Christians around because they are giving a false witness to the world about what a Christian 
should be. All right, let's move on to some good news. Then there's a good soil, and Jesus says, But the seed sown on good soil is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and produces a crop a hundredfold, sixtyfold, or thirtyfold. This is the ideal soil or heart in which the word of God thrives and where you can expect a great harvest. And in those days, you know, a six-fold crop was considered amazing, extremely bountiful. So to say, for, for, to, for Jesus to say 160 or even 30-fold is nothing short of a supernatural blessing that comes through a person's life. Jesus says this person understands the word, meaning to fully receive or ingest the word deep inside, reordering one's life to be in total submission to God, even at the expense of hardship and inconveniences. Unlike some of the other soils, these people will not compromise obedience under stress like so many others do. They understand that the harvest takes time and they're known for what's called long obedience and they stay the course. Their slogan is, I'm all in for the kingdom. And their song is that hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. In fact, these faithful servants know that they may never see the harvest this side of heaven, but they'll keep on being faithful because faithfulness is what pleases God. Don't we all wish we could say that this is where our hearts are? So in summary, when looking at the four types of soils, Jesus made clear that only one type of soil or heart pleases God and produces godly harvests. The lesson for us is that we need to evaluate the condition of our hearts each and every day as following Jesus is not a one-time deal. In fact, some of us can admit that it's easy to drift from being good soil maybe to other types of soil, especially as the adversary, the devil, continues to try to influence our hearts away from Jesus, right? Here's what else. Some of us aren't experiencing the abundant harvest that God intends for us because somewhere in our soil bed, if you, if you look at your life as a soil bed, maybe in the corner of our field that nobody else sees lies some hardness where God's word is not allowed to take root. For example, you might be a Christian, and for the most part, your relationship with God is good. But if you're harboring unforgiveness or, or committing some other deliberate sin, you're not allowing God's word and will to take root, but allowing a weed that can choke out your blessings. May this not be so. But praise God, even if you're not in a good place today, because of God and his grace, there are things you can do to get your soil to become good soil before the Lord. And here they are. These are our action steps. One, toil the soil. You know, take out that hole and start working it. This is where we spend time on our knees in prayer, humbly coming before God and just asking him, God, would you just expose whatever needs to be exposed? Break up the hardness of heart, uh, the hardness of my heart within me. It's just simply repenting and turning to God. That's where we have to start. It's like that Psalm 139 psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Next, take in the seed. We must take in God's word and meditate on it daily. Continue to fill your mind with God's word daily. Be like that Psalm 119 psalmist who knew that God's word is more precious than gold or silver or anything that life can offer. And third, 
maintain the soil. Just like soils need watering, weeding, and fertilizing, we need to do life in community. Plant yourself in a small group to be nourished with encouragement and accountability. Let your friends in the Lord help you read out, uh, weed, um, root out the weeds in your life. God's harvest in your life was never meant to be a solo journey. And if you are a solo Christian, be warned. The devil loves this because he knows you are easy picking and he can plant weeds in your garden faster than you can weed them out yourself. You know, I know I'm grateful for those who've been involved in my Christian journey, starting with uh, a woman named uh, Sister Barbara Lee, uh, one of my earliest heroes of my faith. She introduced me to Jesus when I was six years old, and she had every excuse not to. She was a mother of three. She had an abusive, alcoholic husband, yet she faithfully showed up to church every week, and, and that's where I learned about Jesus, and I'm so grateful. In fact, 30 years um, after being saved, I, I went to go and find her, still faithfully serving, and I just wanted to tell her how grateful I was for her sowing into my life and to other children's life and what God was doing in my life. And even today, I'm still benefiting and growing from the encouragement uh, that I'm receiving from good soil, brothers and sisters in the Lord. I'm so grateful you're in our church, and I see you doing an amazing job of continuing to sow God's word and, and blessings into other people's lives. And because of that, people's lives are being changed. I'm so grateful for you. Um, you know, they've sowed into people's lives, and this is ultimately what God is expecting each and every one of us to do. After all, the parable is called the parable of the sower and not the parable of the soils, right? And God wants all of us to be sowers. This is what the Great Commission is all about. It's the last thing Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven, to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I've commanded you. Sow my seeds. And people coming to Christ are ultimately the harvest Jesus is describing in his parable. And we want to be a church that brings people to Christ. Like the sower in the parable, we are all called to sow generously, right? You notice how he just, just was throwing seeds all over the place. And even to hard soil people, if I could say that. In other words, Jesus calls us to sow seed everywhere because he loves everyone. We have to be careful not to sow just where we think the soil is good. Our part is to sow seeds even on hard ground with love and grace, never giving up on anyone possibly coming to Christ. So let me ask you, is there someone that comes to mind in your life that you might struggle with, but who could use a word from God or maybe a loving, uh, a loving act of kindness to maybe soften their hearts? Let me close by ending where we started. God calls us to be world changers. And if we're going to solve any problems or affect any change in this world, we need God's power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And it only comes to good soil, those completely submitted to God. As you evaluate the condition of your hearts this morning and the effectiveness of your sowing, perhaps you realize you're not where you want to be. Maybe there's been no harvest in recent seasons or for some time. Perhaps you know there are hardened areas in your heart or there's weeds that you really want to get rid of. 
Simply start by going to God and admitting where you're at. Admit your sins and trusting Jesus for his forgiveness and surrender your life to him. Do this again and again if you need to. Remember, Jesus isn't offering a religious system. He's offering a relationship with you. And unless you do, you will lack true power to overcome any problem in your life, let alone, let alone produce any harvest to bless others. All you have to do is ask him. So please don't let this opportunity slip by because it may never come again. There's no better time to commit to Jesus now. You know, whether you're young or you're old, there's no better time to come to Christ. Make that decision this morning. You know, I chose to follow Jesus when I was six years old, and it's been the best decision I've ever, I've ever made, and God promises the same for you. So let's pray. And so, Jesus, we thank you for those who are committing and recommitting their lives to you this morning. Help us, Lord, all to be all-in Christians. Thank you for sowing your kingdom into our lives, and I pray we would continue to take in all that you have for us so that we can effectively sow your life-giving gospel seed into our families, into our community, and into the world. Continue to equip us and be with us in the days to come. May your kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.